Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, y'all. Y'all doing all right? Man, it's so good to see the house of God full this morning, yeah? Man, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray, and uh, we will jump on in. So, Father, we thank you today, God, that your presence is here. Father, we have an assurance in your word where you said two or three are gathered, God, you're in the midst. And so, Father, today we thank you for the anointing that can touch every single part of our lives. Father, we thank you that our minds are clear, that our hearts are clear. God, we thank you that we're in a position today to receive from heaven. And, Father, today I just simply ask as your word is preached, God, that you would come, God, and you would let it explode in our hearts, that you would help it come alive in our hearts. In fact, you said that your word is a, is a living word, God, and it's a seed that's planted in our hearts. So, Father, we pray that this seed would grow and it would produce fruit in our lives. And, Father, we just cancel out any plan of the enemy today. Father, we just say that he's got no room in here. He's got no room in our lives. And, uh, God, what's your will, what you want to say, let it be done, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Kingdom perspective today. Amen. 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 Well, listen, this morning I want to keep beating the same drum that we've been beating for the past couple weeks. And uh, to do so, I'd like to revisit Exodus chapter 33 again and uh, kind of use it as a launching place for our message. So uh, for you guys that are maybe unfamiliar with uh, the Bible or maybe you're new to the gospel, I want to take a minute and just kind of set this up. So for you guys that have been here for a while, you're going to know this part, but just kind of bear with us. But when we begin to read through the previous chapters that are found in Exodus, uh, we discover that God's chosen people, the Israelites, were in bondage or were in slavery for hundreds of years. And until uh, basically there came a day where God actually chose and, and he sent a deliverer named Moses to go set his people free. Now we know when we read the Bible that through a series of, uh, of plagues and other miracles that followed, God not only delivered his people, but he also started a process where he was leading them in to what he called the promised land. And it was actually a promise that he spoke to Abraham generations before. But right before we get to Exodus chapter 33, we find out that in spite of all of God's promises, in spite of all the mighty miracles that he performed on, on their behalf, the Israelites allowed their hearts to become stubborn, to become ungrateful, and to become rebellious. And like it does with every single person, their stubbornness, their lack of thanksgiving, and their rebellion brought the plan of God for their lives basically to a screeching halt. Uh, but not only did the condition of their hearts cause the plan of God to come to a dead standstill that I spoke to you, because I'm not going to go back on my word, but there is going to be a difference. I'm not going to be the one that's going to take you there. And so what he was, uh, basically when you get to Exodus 33, you find out that God was like, you know what, I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to send a replacement, and it'll be an angel. He'll drive you the rest of the way. And that's where I want us to pick up the story in Exodus 33. We're going to start in verse 1. They're in this spot, in this dead standstill, and it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. In other words, get up. It's time to move forward. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promised land. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> Gotta love that. So like I said last week, this is where things got interesting because in response 
to God's new plan, the Israelites did what they typically did. They took their normal posture, which was this. They went into crisis mode. And what I mean by that, and it's true for even so many people today, is they repeatedly lived in this cycle where they enjoyed God's blessing, but in the midst of enjoying the blessings, they forgot about God. Right. And so when they forgot about him, of course, that, you know, that happened as long as everything was good. But when things went south, uh, like in this moment, they would obviously run back to him crying and weeping and they would ask him to bail them out again. It was that cycle that they perpetually lived in. But it's so different when you look at Moses, because Moses, on the other hand, it appeared like he didn't freak out at all. Right. Instead, he responded by doing what he normally did. He pulled away from all those people who were stirred up in a panic and he pulled out his tent and he waited on God. Right. He said, God, I'm not budging. I hear you. You're saying, let's go. But I'm going to pull out my tent and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait on you so we can have a heart to heart conversation. And I want to pick it back up there again. What's going just laying the foundation it says this in verse seven. Is everybody with me? Says Moses took his tent and he pitched it, it. He pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. All those crazy people, right? And he called it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Fast forward to verse nine. Says and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. That's like you going into your prayer closet and God comes down in a cloud. And it says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, I'm not hearing you on that angel. It says, yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. In other words, you know me and I found grace in your sight, God. This says in verse 13, now therefore I pray if I have found grace in your sight, if it's true, Show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And oh yeah, consider that this nation is your people, not mine. You rest. Then it says in verse 15, it says, Then he said to them, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That should be our cry, church. Amen? Then it says in verse 17, So the Lord said to Moses, in other words, he came to reassure him. He said, I will also, get this, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. You see, it's here that we discover this amazing thing. It's due to the closeness or the bond of their relationship. God actually honored the words of Moses, and he changed his mind. It's a cra it's crazy thought to think that a man could have that much influence in heaven when they pray. Yeah. Yes? So, in other words, what happened was is that God told the replacement driver, that angel, right? He said, never mind, and he told... At the words of Moses, he told all those ungrateful, all those stubborn, all those rebellious kids of his, all right, guys, get back on the bus. I'll take you the rest of the way for Moses' sake, right? All right, so let's settle in here. I said all that just kind of brings us back up to speed because um, actually where I want to settle in is this point of the story, and this is where my prayer today is simply is that God would begin to shift our thinking and how we perceive him and what he wants to do in our lives and how he wants to use us. Remember, we have a mandate to take his kingdom into this region, and there's some things that we need to understand if we're going to do that, okay? And, and I just think it's this. We'll, we'll start off by saying this. If there's ever been a man who could have been content with his relationship with God, I think it was Moses, 
right? Like, think about it for a moment. If you go all the way from the burning bush, right, all the way down to what we just read, where God came down in a cloud and he began to speak to Moses face to face in the tent of meeting. It's, it's like Moses' life is filled with so many incredible encounters with God that I think that you and I could only really dream about some of those. Yes? But here's the thing I want to talk about. Is it still, in spite of all that, it still appeared like that wasn't enough. That's a crazy thought. Like, that wasn't enough. And we know that's true because after all those things, Moses still had one more request to God. And if we can, let's look at verse 18 together, please. This is where we're going to sit today. It says, and he said, in other words, he said, God, it's Moses talking. God, please show me your glory. God, show me your glory. In other words, what he was saying, when you look up, look it up, actually in the Hebrew language, Moses said this, God, show me who you really are. In other words, God, I've seen your power. I know your ways, but can I now see who you really are? In other words, I want the real thing. I don't want church. I don't want religion. I want the real thing. Will you show me you, Jesus, right? Now, listen, I might have a really unique thought uh, in comparison to maybe most people in this verse, but Here's why. Because I honestly believe that there are times in our lives when there are gnawing questions on the inside of us. I mean, like that question that you're like, man, I have to find an answer to that question. Has anybody ever been there? Like, there's this space between you and God, and you're like, God, I need to know this. See, I actually think when that gnawing question, and what I mean by that is I truly believe that Moses didn't think this one up on his own. Bear with me. Rather, I think that God placed or God planted this question and this desire in Moses' heart because God was the one who really wanted to show Moses who he was. Right? And so, listen, as strange as it may sound, it's like I can see God coming and whispering, Come on, Moses. Come on. Ask me. Ask me if you can see my glory. And I just hear that God whispers. Moses hears it. And Moses turns and goes, God, can I see your glory? And I can see God be like, yes. Right? And he goes, that's a good idea. Right? So, listen, in case you're sitting here wondering, man, where in the world do, does he get that thought? It really comes out of Psalm 37, 4. It's a verse that I think we pull so out of context in the church. But it says this. It says simply, delight yourself in the Lord. Can we all agree that Moses delighted himself in the Lord? Yes. Watch this next part. And it says, and he, I love this, watch this, and that he will come and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, so often we sit back and go, man, I really want this. I really want this. I really want God. I desire this. And and God goes, okay, fine, I'll give it to you. No, no, it's not what I think that means. I think it actually means when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we love him so much that God begins to place desires in our hearts. And it really has to do with his will and his plan for our lives. Right? And so, listen, I would just maybe on that note would encourage everybody in this room. I'm just coming to kind of give you some things, throw little thoughts at you today. But it's this. If you can maybe sit back and just go... Man, maybe I need to start paying closer attention to the questions of my heart. Because just maybe those questions are indicators of what go that off. If you recognize it's there, dig deep. Begin to pray into it. God, speak to me. Find out what the Bible says, right? Go, God, please talk to me, yes? All right, now let's get back to the story. Watch how God responds to Moses' incredible question. It says this in verse 19. It says, then he, I believe God excitingly, right, said... I will make all my goodness, that means all my beauty, all my majesty, all my fairness, all my joy pass before you. And I will proclaim the name, the reputation, the character, the authority of the Lord before you. That's a good day, right? (laughs) 
Listen, I believe in this moment that God wanted to show Moses a greater glimpse of who he really is, of his nature. Because why? Because it's out of the goodness of God where his love, his mercy, his grace, and his kindness flows. How many of you guys know God is kind? Amen? Listen, and it is out of his name where his authority His righteousness, His judgment, His holiness, and His purity flows as well, right? So together, His compassion and His name make up the fullness of who He is and who He wants to be in our lives and through our lives. Yes? Amen. In other words, what He was saying is, is, it's like this. Let me give it to you. If I can just kind of pick on some stuff for a minute. So often in the church, we sit back and we go, God, let your goodness pass before me, and we catch half of the peace. And then there's this other church that goes, okay, God, we want to see the authority and the judgment and the holiness of your name. And they get half the peace. But God's really interested in going, let me show you who I really am in the fullness of who I am. Amen? Then he goes on, he says this, says, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, watch this, here's a place by me. Proximity is important. And you shall stand on the rock. I love that. How many of you guys know that you'll never be able to see the glory unless you're standing upon the rock? (laughs) Amen. If you don't know who the rock is, that's Jesus. Amen. He's the rock of our salvation. And it says in verse 22, it says, "So, So shall it be, so it shall be, while my glory, in other words, the real me, passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, and my face shall not be seen. Wave your hand up if you know that's an amazing passage of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good Tuesday. Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, when it comes to the glory of God, I personally believe there's a few things. That's the basis we're going to work from today. But I want to give you four points today uh, of just what I would say, man, they're takeaways from Moses' encounter that I think we could apply to our life. Okay, so if you can, buckle up and uh, open up your heart and let Jesus talk to you. Number one is this, is that God desires to manifest or reveal or show whatever word you want to use. God desires to manifest his glory to his people. You understand that that's a desire of God. That he wants to show us his glory. Can I get a good amen on that? Listen, the truth is, is if that thought originated with Moses or God, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the bottom line is that God answered Moses' request. By him answering Moses' request, it is proof that God wants to show us who he really is. In other words, that he wants what us to see all of his goodness and all the power of his name. Now, I'm kind of hesitant today. If I can give you maybe a personal story Um, I am really hesitant to share this story, so hopefully it'll be received right. Uh, Part of it is because I don't want to look like I'm drawing attention to myself, and the other side is is out of fear of being looking like a weirdo. Um, Truth. But but listen, um, several years ago, uh, I I don't know, it was probably, I think it was was my first year here. I was was sitting in my office that used to be where the cafe's at now, and I was sitting at my desk, and I was working on my Easter message. It was Saturday, Saturday afternoon. And uh, I remember just pouring over everything that happened in the last week that Jesus uh, was on this earth. You know, basically his death, his burial, his resurrection. Uh, when out of nowhere, and it's super hard to describe, but out of nowhere, uh, this glorious fragrance entered the room. And while the fragrance really, I'll be honest, took me by surprise, I, I would actually be lying to you if I didn't admit that um, I tried to first figure out where the smell was coming from. Like I was like, is that the hand soap I used earlier? <laughs> right? 
did, did somebody come and put one of those plugins in the wall? Like I had this quick flash, right? But the truth is, is it didn't take me that long to realize it wasn't any of that. It's what I originally and initially suspected that it was the fragrance of God. And I begin to, so I've only, I would say maybe one other time have I had that, and it was in a service with loads of people, but, but never alone. And, and I just sat there and I just wept. And, and, as, and as fast as the fragrance came in, it left at the same rate, right? It only hung around for a few minutes, and I just literally just sat there in awe. And the only thing I could say, and I think you'd understand, is like, man, surely God was in this place, Right? And, and so, listen, I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that story, but what I walked away from that moment was this, is that it was a great reminder that the veil between here and there isn't as thick as we think it is, right? In other words, that there's times where God, get this, longs to be with us so much, like he did with Moses, he will bypass the parameters of time and space, and he'll push his glory through the veil that separates the natural world, our world, and his supernatural world, all because he wants to show us the splendor and the beauty of his nature. If I could say it this way, because he just really wants to be close. See, I think sometimes we underestimate how intimate God really wants to be with us. Right? We, we, we live as if he's some distant, and he's not distant. He made his home in us, Right? It's a, is it a mystery? A thousand percent, yes. But he wants to be close to us because he loves us. Amen? So if we can get in our heads, man, that God wants to manifest his glory in our lives, man, the better off we'll be. Amen? The second lesson I believe we can take away from Moses' encounter is this. Hang with me here. Is that God desires to impart his glory, who he really is, to his people. In other words, that he wants to come and place his glory on his people. Okay, listen, for many years I was taught, and I believed that God was jealous about his glory. I'm going to bring some balance here, so hang with me. And that he was unwilling to allow anyone to share in. In fact, I don't know how many times I read and I heard and I thought about uh, the words of Isaiah 42, 8. We'll throw up on the screen where it simply says this, my glory I will not give to another. In other words, when I read that, when I heard that for years, I thought, well, the glory will be somewhere over here distant. God is unwilling to share it. He'll conceal it. He'll hide it. But it's going to stay there, and the rest of us, we're just kind of called to live over here. And that's the way I kind of perceived that. And there was some, there was some other balance that, that I knew, and I'll explain, okay? But, but I, that thought for me was reinforced when I read stories like the one about Stephen Jeffries. Some of you guys have heard me share it before. But uh, for you guys that don't know, Stephen Jeffries was a... Uh, a young man from the village of Wells, a village in Wells. Um, back at the turn of the century, you're talking 1800s, 1900s, there was an open vision in their little church in Wells. And uh, basically it was, a, it was a bleeding lamb. It was Jesus. And, and you would think, oh, okay, if one people, two people saw it, maybe think you're crazy. 300 people came and saw this vision. And it actually lasted for three days. And for three days, Stephen Jeffries laid up underneath the vision at the altar, and he cried out to God about the, the physical needs of the world and, and uh, the needs of the world and mainly physical uh, healing. And so, listen, during that time when he was on the floor, God uh, anointed him. I will say it this way. The glory came upon him. God imparted his glory upon Stephen Jeffries. And when he left that church building, he discovered that, that pretty much every person he prayed for got healed. Now, now listen, when, when that begins to happen, people begin to come from everywhere. 
And, and it's actually said that in one of his meetings, because uh, he had this, uh, truthfully, a strong anointing to pray for people with rheumatoid arthritis. And I don't know if you know what rheumatoid arthritis is, but it's kind of arthritis. I have an uncle that has it, that, that basically it twists you up. It makes you all deformed, and, and it, just, it, it just makes you look rough, okay? And so... Um, they said basically in one of his meetings, he saw somebody in the back, and he got super excited. He ran. He jumped off the platform, ran to the back of the room, and he laid hands on this guy, and he cursed rheumatoid arthritis. And people said from 30 feet around, you could hear uh, bones begin to relocate as Jesus healed them and fixed their body. There's another story that says that thousands of people watched as they brought a young man up on the platform, and he had one normal leg, and his other leg never grew, so it just dangled. And people watched as Stephen Jeffrey simply said this, leg, in the name of Jesus, grow. And they watched the leg grow 18 inches. Not, in, not that, 18 inches. Watched it grow and be normal. And so, listen, unfortunately, in the midst of all those miracles, uh, money began to come really important to him, Right? And he began to listen to the praise of man, and he allowed pride to creep into his heart, so much so that he later stood on a platform in Africa, and he said this to the crowd. He said, ladies and gentlemen, the world is at my, let me say it right, the world is at my feet to worship me. Okay? Insane, right? Watch this. Basically, God kept using him. He'd preach his little simple messages. People would still get healed. But slowly but surely, the anointing, the glory lifted off of him. And he ended up uh, basically getting rheumatoid arthritis and basically ended up dying from it, the thing he was known for. But he said this, and there's kind of my whole point of telling the story, is he told Lester Summerall before he died, he said, Lester, God will not permit his servants to have the gold or the glory that belongs to him. See, for years, I thought, see there, God will not share his glory with us. In other words, the glory's going to be there. We're going to be here. And, and Stephen Jeffries is proof of that. And I want you to know it's truth in the sense that this, and hopefully I'm making sense, is that, watch this, God did impart the glory on Stephen Jeffries. But Stephen Jeffries began to feel like he was the reason people got healed. And it came at that point, he crossed the line to what Isaiah was talking about, where God doesn't share his glory. In other words, it's not like, here, hop up. I, it's the best way I can say it. Like, if this is God, and for years he pointed, God will do this, healing. God will do this, healing. And then he went, watch this. I will do this, healing. I will do this, healing. And he began to take it. That's what it means to receive the glory. And I think, thank you, man, I think so often because we uh, basically think that's where it is, we stop the second part where God really wants to come put his glory on us. Hopefully I'm making sense. It makes sense here. Not so sure if it's coming out right that way. So watch this. Here's what changed my mind on that, about this glory thing, that God will share his glory. Because of what Jesus said in John 17. He said this concerning all those who would honor him. He said, for the very glory that you have given to me. Watch that. The glory that the Father gave Jesus for the very glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. That's incredible, gang. Listen, that Jesus himself wants to impart his glory into our lives, not only as individuals, but as a corporate body. Why? Because we, as his church, or what the Bible says in Ephesians 1.23, that we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Right? Here's what I mean by that. That if we realize or not that we are living in a day that we need the glory. Right? Not the glory, but the glory. Right? That Jesus prayed for. I think we need it now more than ever. In fact, I believe that this glory was prophetically spoken about. Let me show you a verse. Isaiah 60. 
says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, upon you, upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Can we agree right there? Darkness is covering the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Yeah. So please listen to me, church. What I'm trying to get at is this, is that God has called us to be carriers of his glory. He's called us to be carriers of his goodness. He's called us to be carriers of his name into this dark world. And if I can maybe say it this way, uh, yes, the world needs to see the glory of God in our lives. So that means we got to realize, that guess what? We've never been called to be carriers of depression or carriers of hopelessness or carriers of all these wounds, or carriers of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, right? We are called to be carriers of love and of kindness, right? The power of God, mercy, courage. That's the stuff we're supposed to carry. So we need to uh, get rid of the garbage, right? We need to take the garbage out. We need to get rid of the baggage so we can actually carry the glory of God. Am I making sense to you all? Amen. So let me give you a hopeful statement. Remember this, that basically... That while things seem to be getting darker, uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that the darker the world comes, the brighter the glory will shine. Amen? Amen. The third lesson, third lesson is this, is I believe we can take away uh, from Moses this, is God's glory responds to those who worship him in his way. I said I'm going to keep beating this drum. I'm going to keep beating it. God responds to those who worship him in his way. Please look at what Isaiah said. Isaiah 60 says, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And I will glorify the house of my glory. This simply means that if we're willing to give him the glory and the honor that he deserves, guess what? And the way that he wants to receive it, that he will in return invade this place and our lives with the fullness of his glory. He'll come. All right? Once again, I've said it many times here. There's that line in that old song by Jonathan David Helser that love can't stay away. You can't stay away when love starts singing or something like that. I'm looking at Noah. It's been on Noah to help me out on that. But that's it, man. When we, when we begin to sing, man, he can't stay away, right? He's drawn. It's like, a, I don't know, I don't know. It's like a magnet. It pulls him towards us. Amen? We draw near to him. He draws near to us. So watch this. In fact, the Bible actually uh, tells us that, in other words, the meaning of worship actually means to bow down. And the Bible tells us this in Isaiah 60, you know, to bow down. It says, and I will make the place of my feet. That's where we worship, guys. The place of my feet, glorious. Right? So if we hang around the feet of Jesus, man, we're going to get around the glory. Amen? Let me give you two biblical examples. I know I'm slinging a lot of Bible at you. Just write it down. You read it later. Uh, Exodus 40 says this. It says, Then Moses hung the curtains, forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. It says, And he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last, Moses finished the work. What does that mean? It means God spoke to Moses. He responded in obedience and did the way that God wanted. He did what God wanted. He did what God asked him. He did it his way. And then it says this key word in verse 34. It says, Then... When he did it his way, then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Let me give you another example with Solomon. It says this in Second Chronicles. It says, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeteers and the singers were as one. There's the unity that Jesus wants us to have. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice and the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praising the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That's his goodness, y'all. It says that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. 
I'm here to tell you, he wants to still do that. Yes? All right. Listen, I just think through these verses, it's easy to see that when we worship God according to his word, when we exalt the name of Jesus and we give place to the Holy Spirit, God will respond to our hearts and he'll do what? He'll show up in his glory, right? He'll show us who he really is. And, and if I could just maybe remind you all of this, the Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of what? Joy. Joy. It's a great place to be. Yeah? And just on that note, if I can say this, and I feel like this is for somebody. Um, when I've personally been weighed down with burdens, when I've been discouraged, when I've been afraid, uh, when I can't figure out how in the world to get out of the situation I'm in. Anybody ever been in one, any of those spots? Yeah, yeah, six of us. It's good. I, I, need to, I need to just come and live in a closet or a basement in the rest of you guys' house, and my problems will disappear. This is great. But we've all been there, right? Yes. Listen, listen I, I just can't tell you how many times that when I go and I begin to worship him, right, that, that I don't know where all those things go, but the weight of those things leaves somehow, right? And, and literally that when I get my eyes off things of the world, when I get my eyes off my problems, and that's hard sometimes. I'm struggling with this morning, to be honest with you. But, but in that moment, what happens is, is his glory, his joy, his peace, it fills my heart. And, and because there's this thing there, guys. Y'all, please listen to me. His glory changes everything. Everything. Because when his glory comes, he's the only one that matters. Like, like I, you know, the only thing I can tell you is this. I remember being in a service... And someone got up and spoke prophetically. And all I can say, it was like a, it was actually Candace's mom. And, and all, I can, all I can describe is this. It was like, um, I don't know, like the, the biggest weight you can imagine of God's holiness went boom in the room. And I remembered I was over here, and, you know, it was at our old church, but on this side. And I was laying on the ground on my face, sucking carpet. And I was like, I do not want to move. Because why? Because in that moment, he was the only thing that mattered. And his holiness was in the room. And it's one of those times that you feel like if you move your finger the wrong way, you're going to mess something up. Right? Number four. We're almost done. Y'all hang with me. Fourth lesson. I just want to encourage you guys. This isn't so much a takeaway as much as encouragement to all of us. And number four, that God's glory in the midst of his people may be missed or even lost. That God's glory in the midst of his people may be missed and even lost. When you, when you reel back and you go to Exodus 33, there's a really sobering thought there. And that sobering thought is this, is that the day that Moses saw God's glory, there were over 3 million people there. But only one saw the glory. That's a sobering thought. Yeah? And, and here's why, and we'll throw up the next slide. Because the presence or the glory of God will increase or be diminished to whatever degree we allow our flesh to rule us. Can we let that sink in, please? The presence or the glory of God will either increase or it will be diminished to whatever degree we allow flesh, our flesh, to rule us. Like, if you're in this room today and you've, and you've ever lived in a lifestyle of fasting and prayer, right, or you've spent seasons fasting, then you'll know that, man, when you do that, there's an increase of God's presence and glory in your life. Why? Because you are, you are nailing your flesh to the cross, right? But those times where you give little prayer and little time in the Word and acknowledgement, occasion in worship, man, the flesh is ruling, and there's a decrease greatly from the glory of God in your life. Will we all agree with that? Yes. If you've never lived a lifestyle, if you've never fasted and prayed, what I mean by fast, that you don't eat, 
you drink water, and you seek Jesus, I promise you, I assure you, man, if you do that, Jesus will come. Amen? So when it comes to this thought, though, about basically that his glory could be missed, let me give you an example here. And this is the last point I'm going to give you, and we'll drive this home and we'll be done. Judges 16, 20 says this. It says she, he's talking about uh, good old Delilah. Gotta love Delilah, right? <clears throat> she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Watch this. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. See, when we read Samson's story, we discover that the gift of God's unique blessing was upon his life. But it was contingent upon one thing. It was contingent upon his willingness to obey and to follow the Nazarite vow. In other words, I'll put it in everyday language. It was contingent upon if he would live according to God's way. Right? And see, the tragedy was not only that Samson lost a distinct touch of God on his life, but worse yet, it was that he didn't even recognize that it was gone until he was crippled by the enemy. Y'all hear me? I cannot tell you how many people that I have counseled in that spot. They did great. They got their eyes off Jesus, put it on their flesh, and then they end up way over in this hole that they're in, and they're all bound up and twisted up, basically, the devil's ruling their life, and he's got them all jacked up. And you know what? They never even noticed that the glory departed from their lives. Am I making sense? So I only mention that to encourage you this, and we could go many ways, but let me just kind of center and worship for a moment, is that we need to guard our hearts. And here's why, because worship can become a habitual, it can become habitual just like anything else, right? That if we allow it to become routine, we've all been there, just sing the song, let's get it over with, right? If we do that, instead of having worship flow from the genuine affection of our hearts, guess what? We can become hardened to the glory just as much as an unbeliever can be against the glory. Yes? That, that literally, I think one of my greatest fears is that God would be in a place and I would not know it. Truth, right? So, so I, just, I just will say this. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the glory. Right? All right. So, so let me kind of give you a thought here, and we'll close. Um. There's been such an emphasis put on uh, grace in the church, and I'm thankful for the grace. Like, we wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for grace, right? Uh, but, but to understand that, that God, let me say it this way. There's been such an emphasis on the grace that people have automatically assumed because they have grace that they have the glory. And I want you to realize that's two different things. God, God uh, gives, designates the grace for sinners, Right? But he designates the glory for those who are willing to walk in his ways. Okay? And, and so, listen, if we want to be a people in a church that, that is marked, that's carried by the glory of God. I keep beating it. I know. Have been since the beginning of the year. Then we got to do it his way. Right? That, that's why consecration, holiness, being set apart... All of those things are so important because at the end of the day, the reward of carrying the glory of God is far better than anything this world has to offer. Amen? Amen. Can you stand to your feet, please? I'm going to ask you just two questions today. And the first one is simply this, and we'll make it quick. 
is that if you are in here today and that you know that you've been carrying a bunch of stuff that uh, is opposite of the glory and you want to make a divine exchange with Jesus today, that you want to drop off, uh, say, depression and you want to receive some joy, whatever it is, uh, if that's you, can you just lift both hands, please? Amen. Amen. You put your hands down, please. If you're in this place today and you're like, man, PQ, I don't even have a clue about Jesus. Maybe I have a somewhat of an understanding, but but I definitely have not given him my life. Or maybe I did, but it was some time ago, and I've kind of ran my own course, and I'm at a pretty good distance from him, and I need to just get right with God today. If that's you, can you please lift your hand? Please. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. If you lift your hands, just lift both hands. I want to pray for you really quick on both those things. You want to make that exchange. Father, today, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus with our hands lifted up. Father, we simply just come and we bring you this thing that we've been carrying. Father, some of us have even uh, literally built cities and identities around this issue in our life. God, we've carried it so long that people have begun to recognize that's just us. But Father, we pray today in the name of Jesus that that thing, that power of that thing would be broken off of us today. Father, we pray that there would be a divine exchange, God, that we would give you our mess. And Father, we thank you in return that you would begin to trust us with your glory. So Father, we pray, God, that whatever the opposite is God of this earth from to what's in your kingdom God what's in your kingdom would fill our hearts and flood our minds father we release peace and we release joy and we release hope and we release life today God we release the goodness of God the authority of God the holiness of God today in Jesus name God father we praise you and we thank you for a divine exchange and father we also say God if we've been living a lifestyle that's so far from you God we come and we make an exchange God with our sin God for forgiveness God, we give you our mess, God, and we just ask for grace and mercy in return. God, we just simply cry out to you today. and We say, Jesus, please save me from my sins. Save me from this lifestyle. And Father, we thank you, God, today that we do believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. We do believe that he rose on the third day so that we could have an eternal home with you. And so simply we just ask, Lord, that you would make your home in us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with fire. God, give us strength. Give us grace. God, give us an endowment from on high to be able to walk out who you've called us to walk out. So, Father, every single person in this place today, God, as we give you our hearts anew, afresh, God, we pray, God, today that we'd be people who walk in the glory of heaven. God, that the anointing of heaven, the presence of heaven would come upon us. God, what we say would come from heaven. What we think would come from heaven. What we do would come from heaven. God, Lord, let our lives be marked by you. Let it be marked by you. And Father, I just break off any mindset that anybody has in this place that says that they're not worthy of it. The bottom line, yes, we know that's true, but you, Jesus, made us worthy of it. God, it's you. Your Bible says that you stoop down and you make us great. God, we don't understand that, but you said you would do it. So, Father, we pray today, God, that the proper identity, a kingdom perspective, would be rooted in us today. That it would be firmly planted. And we would live, God, from that kingdom where we would live as sons and daughters who sit at the table of God and not some beggar that's laying underneath. Father, thank you, God, for just sonship. God, thank you for daughterhood. God, we pray that the performance that's based off fear would be broken in our lives. And, Father, that our identity would be rooted firmly, God, in who you called us to be. 
So, Lord, today I bless your people, God, to be all that you called them to be. I bless them. I bless them. I bless them, God, to walk in your ways. Father, I ask, God, according to your word, that your face, that your countenance, God, will shine upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus a shout of praise? Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.